Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cultivation Cast by Black Dog LED with Kevin Frender and Noah Miller. In this podcast series, we cover all things related to indoor cannabis cultivation. We continue to receive feedback from our fans, and please keep the feedback coming. We'd love to know what you'd like to hear us talk about here on the podcast. But today, we're going to jump right into something that's a little more personal to Black Dog LED about this guy sitting next to me. Kevin Frender, for those of you that don't know, is our Chief Science and Chief Technology Officer. He's the guy behind our spectrum and a lot of the design things that we do here at Black Dog LED. And he's also the biggest plant nerd you're ever going to meet. So we thought it might be interesting to tell a little bit of the story of how Kevin joined Black Dog LED. So Kevin, why don't you tell us the very first time that you saw a Black Dog LED light and how you found us? Well, it's a, a long story. So starting when I was three years old, I started uh, experimenting with planting seeds from everything you could get in the grocery store, things like uh, lemons, limes, um, grapefruit, and planting those just to see what the tree would look like. Because growing up in Colorado, unlike in Arizona, we don't have citrus trees growing around the state here. So um, starting from a very young age, I had a lot of houseplants to the point where when I was about six years old, I was running out of room in my bedroom. So started uh, experimenting with different grow lights and that led a snowball effect to getting more and more plants, more and more plants under lights, experimenting with different kinds of lights. Um, eventually about uh, 11 years ago now, uh, after trying pretty much everything else on the market between plasma lights, uh, fluorescent lights, high intensity discharge lights of all different kinds, um, I tried a few LEDs, was utterly disappointed with them. But on a visit to my local hydroponic store, I saw a black dog LED hanging up in the store and it had a 90 day money back guarantee. So I figured, okay, it's probably going to be just like the other LEDs that I've already tried and uh, got it, figuring I had nothing to lose. And wow, if it didn't actually make my plants happier than anything I'd ever grown with before. And the note, the difference was quite noticeable, even on the uh, typically slow growing plants that uh, I'm growing. Within a couple of months, the, the difference was obvious in terms of fruit production. I was getting off of some of my tropical fruit trees that I'm growing in my basement, um, as well as the overall health and vigor, as well as the structure of the plants that were growing. So that's what got me involved with Black Dog LED. I, I started with one light, uh, quickly did a, a larger scale experiment with four lights versus the ceramic metal halide lights I was running at the time, which were my favorite up to that point and uh, saw increased yields on pretty much everything in my uh, grow room within a couple of months of putting in the black dog LEDs. And I've been running them ever since. So real quick there, you, you mentioned that ceramic metal halide, being that you're the guy that really drives our spectrum and a lot of that stuff. Um, if you couldn't grow with LED, is ceramic metal halide what you would use? It is the best spectrum that I had found uh, for growing plants in general, for both vegetative and flowering growth. Um, other than, so the other options really, if you're trying to grow tall plants, you really do need something that has a decent amount of intensity. Fluorescent tubes just don't cut it. You can't grow plants more than about 12 to 18 inches tall at most with fluorescent lights before the intensity falls off to the point where the lower leaves just aren't happy. So you do need a high intensity light. And uh, with high intensity discharge, you basically have a choice between metal halide, high pressure sodium or ceramic metal halide. And uh, experimenting around myself over a period of years, actually decades, uh, found that uh, metal halide by itself worked pretty well. 
uh, high pressure sodium by itself cause the plants to stretch excessively. Um, and when you're growing plants like mango trees in your basement, you can't afford to have them stretch excessively. They're already really big trees and you're trying to keep them less than seven feet tall. So um, high pressure sodium didn't work, but a combination of metal halide and high pressure sodium worked decently until I found ceramic metal halide and found that those actually work far better than even the combination of metal halide and high pressure sodium. And I didn't understand why at the time, but now that I know much more about plant spectrum and how it affects plant growth, um, it's because ceramic metal halide has a vastly superior spectrum to either metal halide or high pressure sodium or the two put together in terms of general plant growth for vegetative and flowering as well. So I've got to ask this question. I know our viewers are going to want to know why. So if ceramic metal halide worked really well compared to the other technologies you tried, why even look at LED? What is the advantage? Now, obviously, we have a little more control. We were designing our spectrum. But why, why look at something different once you found a good uh, spectrum that grew the way you wanted in your basement? I'm the type of person that even if I found something I'm happy with, I'm always experimenting around to see if it can't get better. Because over the years, I mean, if I had just stopped and said, hey, metal halide works well enough, then I wouldn't have discovered ceramic metal halide. Um, so I'm always constantly testing things, always trying new things out. And when you're nerdy enough to be growing tropical fruit trees in your basement in Colorado, you kind of have to try all sorts of cutting edge things to try and keep the plants small and as well as get them large enough that they're actually going to produce fruit for you. You have to keep them happy. And that's actually a big challenge. One of the other reasons why I was constantly looking for something different is ceramic metal halide bulbs actually operate at a higher temperature even than high pressure sodium or metal halide bulbs do. And so you have a tendency to get a lot more of the infrared, the excess heat radiation on your plants. So you're forced to keep your plants further away from the ceramic metal halide lights to keep them happy from an equal wattage high pressure sodium bulb. And does that play into the efficiency then? Is there an efficiency advantage? I mean, as we know, like DE's double-ended high-pressure sodium got a lot more efficient than the old single-ended HPS we all used to use in grows. Um, the ceramic metal halide, how does its efficiency stack up? So we know it's got a probably the best spectrum other than LED. How does the efficiency stack up? So it, it really depends. There are double-ended ceramic metal halides available now um, that are getting close to rivaling the efficiency of double-ended high-pressure sodium bulbs. They're basically more or less equivalent if you look at equivalent technology in the bulbs, uh, but the ceramic metal halide has a vastly superior spectrum. High pressure sodium spectrum has almost no blue light whatsoever and basically no ultraviolet light at all. And ceramic metal halide has significantly more blue um, as well as a decent amount of red. If anything, it's just a little bit deficient on red. That's its Achilles heel. But it also has roughly three to four percent ultraviolet light in the spectrum, which it turns out makes a big difference in terms of how the plants grow, the quality you get, as well as keeping the plants more compact and, uh, and shorter. Well, obviously, we're big believers here at Black Dog in the UV and ultraviolet and some of the blues that we use to control plant morphology. Um, how does that, those specifically ceramic metal highlights, stack up to LED? If so, somebody's looking at deploying this in a grow facility, what would be reason to go with LED over ceramic metal highlight if the spectrum is still there? So with ceramic metal highlight, there are different 
color temperatures of bulbs you can get where it's slightly more red or slightly more blue, but you're really not fundamentally changing the spectrum in any major way. You get you know a little bit more red or a little bit more blue out of it, uh, but it's not really, you can't tailor the spectrum to be exactly what you want. Uh, with LEDs, just saying, hey, I've got an LED grow light doesn't really mean anything because it really depends on exactly what LEDs that LED grow light is made with. It really does depend on the spectrum. Now, a lot of LED grow lights on the market right now are just using white so-called full spectrum LEDs. And there it's kind of like the uh, ceramic metal halide where you can get warmer temperature ones or cooler temperature ones. So you've got a little bit more red or a little bit more blue, but you're really not fundamentally changing the spectrum that much. You're changing the ratio of red to blue a little bit, but you're not, you can't tailor the spectrum to be exactly what you want it to be. Now these all white so-called full spectrum LEDs are getting to the point where they are actually more efficient than ceramic metal halide at this point. And so they actually do grow almost as well, if not better per watt than a ceramic metal halide. However, the so-called full spectrum LEDs do not have uh, the violet, the deep blue 400 to 425 nanometer photons in any significant quantity, and they've got basically no ultraviolet whatsoever. So ceramic metal halide still has an advantage there. However, the full spectrum LEDs do tend to have more in the uh, red area of the spectrum ratio-wise than the ceramic metal halide, so they kind of make up for it in that uh, perspective. But with a LED grow light that's specifically designed to grow plants well, we can incorporate not just these white full spectrum LEDs, but also other colors, discrete colors of LEDs to get the exact spectrum we want and uh, force the plant to do what we want it to do for us, whether that's growing longer stems by giving it a bunch more red, uh, but I don't know many people that grow plants primarily for their stems. So we actually want to discourage that. We want to decrease internodal spacing, try and keep the plants short and compact and um, producing more flowers and fruit instead of stems. Got you. So to you, the big advantage of an LED over, let's say a ceramic metal highlight in this case, is the ability to customize it and bring up the exact spectrum that you're desiring. Right, but again, that doesn't apply to every LED grow light. It applies to some LED grow lights. Depends how the manufacturer then tunes it, which is where you come in, you tune our spectrum. So now let's pull a little bit out of the nerd side on the CMH ceramic metal halide and the spectrum and then say, great, so you are growing, you've grown with every type of lighting under the sun, no pun intended there. And so you've tried them over 30-ish years. You've grown with the industry as technologies have changed and you've adapted. Now you walk into a hydro shop and see a black dog. Yes, so I tried about five different kinds of LEDs up to that point. And keep in mind, this was back in uh, the 2010 timeframe. LEDs have come a long way since then. But uh, back 2008 through 2010, you saw the very first LED-based grow lights appear on the market. And unfortunately, most of them were vastly underpowered. Um, the white full-spectrum LEDs at that point were not nearly as efficient as they are at this point. So a lot of the LED grow lights on the market were primarily nothing but red and blue LEDs. Um, UV LEDs may have been available, but I never saw an LED grow light until I saw a black dog LED that actually had ultraviolet LEDs in it. 
Uh, so I tried a bunch, was very disappointed. The plants clearly didn't like them nearly as much as the ceramic metal halide. And part of that is probably because of intensity. But when I did see this black dog LED and uh, tried it 10 years ago at this point, uh, even though it wasn't as intense as the ceramic metal halide at that point in time, the plants clearly liked the spectrum better. And I actually put the LEDs, the black dog LEDs on the outside of my plant room and kept the ceramic metal halides in the center of my plant room. And after just about six to eight weeks, it started to look a little bit like the parting of the Red Sea as the plants are actually deliberately trying to grow underneath the LED, the black dog LED spectrum and get away from the ceramic metal halide that they had been growing under for the previous five years at that point. It's pretty impressive considering the ceramic metal highlight, as we've been discussing, isn't a bad spectrum by any means. It's, it's a perfectly yes. nice, adequate spectrum for growing with. So, so now you've got this, you, you check this light out, you took your chances, you took it home again, it's like 11 years ago, and you saw some massive changes. What kind of production changes did you see? Like um, in anything where maybe you produce a fruit or a flower like we do in cannabis, where we are producing a fruit or a flower for harvest? Well, I grow a lot of different kinds of plants in my basement. Uh, things like mango trees typically only bloom once a year. So it's kind of hard to, to say in two months, oh, I saw a massive increase in my mango crop because they only fruit once a year. Um, and, and it takes them about nine months to ripen from flowers. So one of the plants that uh, was most indicative is miracle fruit plants. And I happen to have a miracle fruit plant from my basement right here. Uh, miracle fruit plants are native to Ghana, Africa. And when you give them the conditions that they are happiest with, uh, which are very specific conditions, they will actually bloom and produce fruit more or less continuously. And I went from getting maybe a dozen miracle fruit off of my 20 or so plants per month to getting 20 miracle fruit off of each plant every month uh, growing under black dog LED. And so it was a massive instant, massively noticeable change. That is a big difference. So I know now that you're talking about it, a lot of our listeners are going to be curious, miracle fruit. That's a, a something that a lot of people might not have heard of, especially being native to Ghana, Africa. What, what can you tell us uh, about miracle fruit? What are you doing growing miracle fruit in your basement? So miracle fruit are a very interesting plant. Every once in a while, you may see an article in the newspaper as some newspaper reporter happened to run across them and try them somewhere and they write it up. But uh, most people are not familiar with miracle fruit. So this tree right here, and I call it a tree, but it's only three feet tall. It's also 10 years old. It's a very slow growing plant. Um, now, this one is smaller than it would be if it had grown under natural sunlight, because this one has only known the black dog LED spectrum its entire life. In fact, bringing it here today is the first time it ever saw natural sunlight in its entire life. But this was planted as a seed in 2012. Um, it is now producing about 20 to 30 miracle fruit per month for me, even in a one gallon fabric smart pot here. Um, so. It's still nice and compact. Unfortunately, miracle fruit take about five years from seed before they start flowering and producing fruit. So a very slow growing plant compared to the cannabis that most of our customers are typically growing where a plant would be this size in a matter of weeks. This took 10 years to get this size. Uh, but miracle fruit are very interesting because they produce a small red berry. And I've got some here. Uh, the berries are about half an inch to three quarters of an inch in size. And these little berries have a nice sweet flavor to them. Um, some people describe it as a pomegranate flavor. I 
don't think those people have eaten enough pomegranates to, it doesn't taste like anything else to me. It's, it's generically sweet with a little bit of tang to it. Uh, but the really interesting thing is the flesh of miracle fruit contains a glycoprotein, which is a carbohydrate bound to a protein. It's a fairly unstable molecule. It falls apart at about 102 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's very difficult to ship miracle fruit around the country. Typically, by the time they get there, this molecule has fallen apart. But this molecule is called miraculum and it binds to your taste buds and alters the shape of your taste receptors on a temporary basis. Interestingly, it binds to two different kinds of taste buds in your mouth. One is the sour taste receptors. It binds to and basically stops those from working temporarily. So it, it blocks your sense of sour. And the second thing is it binds to your sweet taste receptors and activates them when you eat something acidic that would normally taste sour. So after eating a miracle fruit, you can bite into a raw lemon and it tastes like the best lemonade you've ever had. And I've given out hundreds, if not thousands of miracle fruit to people at this point. It's always interesting to me to watch people try a miracle fruit and then give them a slice of lemon and everyone instinctively puckers up their face in anticipation of this sour lemon that they're about to taste. And then watching them bite into it and then start craving more lemons and more after that because they realize, hey, this tastes really good, is very interesting. Now, unfortunately, miracle fruit, the miraculin and miracle fruit is not really an, an artificial sweetener or a sweetening substitute because you have to coat your tongue with a miracle fruit before it can actually start working. So if you eat a miracle fruit and a lemon at the same time, the lemon will still taste sour and it won't be until you really got your tongue coated with miracle fruit that it would actually start tasting sweet. So this is not a sugar substitute in any way um, in the conventional sense of the term, but it is a unique novelty in that uh, after eating a miracle fruit, you can eat lemons and limes and they taste absolutely delicious. Raw rhubarb actually tastes spectacular. Um, if anyone's ever bitten into raw rhubarb, it's pretty sour on its own. But after miracle fruit, it's like eating rhubarb pie and it's got the nutritional content of celery. So it's, it's guilt-free in that respect. Uh, but one of the more interesting things too, is that uh, some people that are on chemotherapy for cancer treatments tend to get, or certain other drugs uh, can give a nasty metallic uh, side effect where they taste something metallic in their mouth when they're on these chemotherapy agents. And for a lot of people that actually decreases their appetite or even makes them lose their appetite altogether because food no longer tastes appetizing. It tastes like they're chewing on aluminum foil. Uh, but miracle fruit also happened to fix that problem for roughly 50% of the people I've tried it with that are having this side effect after eating a miracle fruit, food tastes good to them again. And so I've been giving these miracle fruit away to people in the local area. As I said, they don't ship very well because the molecule responsible for this falls apart very easily over time. So even just a couple days after picking them off the tree, the, the berry may look fine. It may taste the same, but it doesn't have the same effect anymore. And so out of curiosity, though, with regard to that, it's interesting, you could say this is somewhat like the industry we're in now, where a lot of the cannabis research, they're looking at the different constituents of the cannabis plants, 
and saying, can we use those to help people that are sick and have a lack of appetite as an appetite enhancement to people that are maybe on drug therapies? You are using something completely different to help those people, something to help them with the taste level. It works in a completely different manner. So cannabis can help increase appetite. It can help stimulate your appetite, but it's not going to fix a nasty metallic taste in your mouth. It just doesn't work that way. Miracle fruit work on a fundamentally different way. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work for 100% of people that have this side effect, but for roughly 50%, it seems to make a big difference. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you've given a lot of these to, especially the children who are suffering in, in cancer wards and are dealing with that, and they might have lost their appetite. Have you really experienced some big changes there with the children as well? Absolutely. I mean, one of the most rewarding things in, in my experience has been when I was able to give them to little kids who had been refusing food for days or weeks because they just, nothing tasted good. And after trying the miracle fruit, they were ordering their second and third trays of food from the cafeteria and their parents are sobbing. And it's a very rewarding experience and probably one of the reasons why I have a 12 by 15 foot specially designed chamber in my basement designed for growing miracle fruit and plants that like similar conditions. Cause I mentioned, this is a fairly picky plant uh, to really continually produce fruit. It wants a constant soil pH of about 5.7. So much lower than what you see with typical plants. Um, it also stops producing fruit continuously if it gets much below about 75 degrees. So it's an ultra tropical plant. It wants it to be warm all the time, produces fruit best when it's between 85 and 90 degrees continuously. Um, and it wants 80% humidity constantly to be happy. And maintaining 80% humidity inside is uh, difficult, but not impossible. Uh, the main challenge is just making sure you don't grow mold everywhere else in your house. So that's interesting. I'm sure a lot of our viewers were thinking for a minute, oh my gosh, a black dog grows this really well, but if I throw this into my cannabis environment and feed it the same thing I'm feeding my cannabis plants from everything you just described to me, I'm going to kill it really quickly. It may not die, but it's not going to be happy and it's not going to produce fruit for you. And given how slow growing they are, I mean, a one-year-old miracle fruit seedling, you're lucky if it's four to six inches tall and has four to six leaves on it. They grow very, very slowly. And so you really do want to give them the ideal conditions if you want to have any chance of getting more than one or two fruit a year off the plant. Gotcha. So we've warned you, don't stick this in with your cannabis plant and don't throw cannabis plants in your miracle grow or miracle fruit grow. Yeah. Area. So cannabis been, plants in, in my basement <laughs> would just grow more. You've been, you've been warned, uh, been forewarned on that. So one thing you said that's interesting you mentioned before is it's a very slow growing plant to you, unlike a lot of us that deal with cannabis, we're, we're dealing with shorter lived plants, even if we keep a mother for a year or two, you know, that, that type of thing. And then we might cut it and clone it and regrow that. But when you're dealing with long-term plants like that, you know, under our spectrum, obviously this plant has seen nothing but a black dog spectrum for over 10 years. It's very healthy and happy, um, but clearly you're doing more than that. You talked about the environment, but you did mention the smart pot. When you're dealing with that and you're dealing with the plant that you're keeping in such a small pot, I can't believe it's been in that pot for that long, that tiny pot. Um, is the smart pot critical and what are tricks for doing that and keeping the plant alive that long in such a small pot? So a lot of the tricks I've adapted because I'm growing things like mango trees that are, are not 
mean, typically a mango tree will get 20 to 30 feet tall and 20 to 30 feet across. And I've got seven foot ceilings in my basement. So I've adopted a lot of techniques from bonsai artists, which figured out thousands of years ago how to keep trees small in the long run and how to keep them compact and how to keep them alive and healthy and happy in a very small pot. Uh, now, bonsai artists typically will take a plant out of its pot and trim off the roots on a regular basis. Typically, depends on the kind of plant, but either every one to three years, they'll take uh, the plant out of the pot, trim the roots, put it back in the pot. Smart pots or fabric pots are somewhat unique in that they perform natural air pruning of the roots. So as the roots grow towards the outside of the pot, they start encountering more and more air to the point where it will kill the growing root tip as it gets towards the edge of the pot or depending on the humidity in the room um, as they get through the edge of the pot. And, and you can actually see there's little half inch roots coming through the base of this pot here. But again, I'm maintaining 80% humidity most of the time in the room, but it naturally prevents roots from circling around the pot and crowding the outside of the pot. And that's what you really need to avoid if you wanna keep a plant happy for the very long term. When I was three years old, I actually planted a grapefruit seed and managed to keep that grapefruit tree alive for about 38 years before it finally died. And it started declining for reasons I couldn't figure out. It, it looked like it was not getting watered enough or maybe its roots were rotting off. So I unpotted it, checked it, made sure that wasn't the case. Started digging around in the soil and discovered that the roots had tied themselves in a six inch circle in a knot uh, so as the roots were growing and expanding in all directions, it was literally strangling itself. And that all comes back to probably a time, uh, you know, 29 years earlier when I had this plant in a six inch pot and the roots circled it. And I didn't notice that didn't trim them when I transplanted it, didn't know to do that at that point in time. And so as I transplanted it up into larger pots, those roots were fine until they finally managed to strangle the plant. Gotcha. So the smart pots, which we sell with our kids and we're big believers in, they have a huge benefit for you and especially maintaining long-term plants. For, for longer term plants, they make a huge difference. Also, if you're growing plants outside, not under artificial lights, but outside, one of the main advantages I've seen to smart pots or fabric pots in general is if you live in a windy area, which we live in a very windy area here in Colorado, if your plants get tall and they're in a rigid plastic or, or ceramic pot, it's very easy for the wind to blow it over. But because the fabric pots have just enough give to them, you can actually put fairly tall plants in uh, fabric pots and they will not blow over or at least will not blow over nine times out of 10 where a plastic or ceramic pot would. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, then on that front, what other differences did you notice? Because you've been talking about the miracle fruit and that is fascinating. We're definitely going to have to do a little more playing and delve into the miracle fruit and maybe let some of our guests explore that. But other fruit, did you notice any other differences in what you were growing your crops that got you excited about the black dog LED fixture? Absolutely. I mean, other plants that I had been trying to grow for a very long time. I'm a very patient person. Um, I've got a lot of 20 and 30 year old plants in my basement that I'm growing, um, some of which have yet to fruit, but I'm, I'm still waiting on them. Um, so a lot of the plants that I'd been growing for a long time that had refused to fruit or they are 
what I call practice flowering. They may actually flower, they may set small fruit, but then they say, oh, I, I can't, I don't have enough light. And so they're going to abort their fruit. So even with the ancient black dog LEDs we had uh, that are much lower intensity than what we've got now, I started seeing plants that had previously been constantly aborting fruit, now holding fruit all the way through to ripening. And a lot of that has to do with the superior penetration of our light spectrum through the canopy. So I was keeping the lower leaves on the plant happier and healthier and giving them more energy. And that finally gave the tree enough total energy to hold fruit and actually ripen it. So there's a tip for all of our viewers. If you are growing tropical fruit and weird things in your basement and it's not holding fruit or anything through to the end to fruition, if you will, and getting a product off it, it might not be that you're not a good grower. What Kevin's saying here is that he changed nothing. You changed, you didn't change your environment. You didn't change your nutrients. Just by changing the light source you got from not being able to get fruit all the way through to the finish, just by changing that one thing, you were able to now get fruit all the way through to its ripening stage. That's correct. And then one other thing, I mean, because I was moving from ceramic metal halide before, um, I didn't see as much of a change moving to the black dog LEDs. However, since then, in doing all sorts of different uh, experiments, you know, I, I still have tons of ancient lights hiding around my house and LEDs are expensive. And so when I'm starting my garden every year, for many years after I joined Black Dog LED, I would still start my tomato and pepper seedlings under my old fluorescent light fixtures. And uh, I would notice major issues always uh, perpetually when I was starting seedlings indoors and trying to move them outdoors, you have to harden them off. You have to slowly acclimate them to being outside and slowly acclimate them to sunlight because they're not used to natural ultraviolet light. Uh, when I did actually start trying black dog LEDs, I could actually take seedlings, tomato seedlings and pepper seedlings, lettuce, anything I wanted that were started under the black dog LEDs with ultraviolet light in the spectrum and put them directly out into full sunlight and have no problems with the plants burning. They're just automatically acclimated to it because they're seeing the same amount of ultraviolet light and they're prepared for it uh, under the black dog LEDs. So when they move out into full sunlight, they're perfectly happy with it. Uh, another thing that notice very much a big difference on is pigmentation in plants. Uh, so for example, starting things like lettuce under uh, fluorescent light or under other LED lights, oftentimes, even if it's supposed to be a red leaf lettuce variety, it would just be green. But starting it under a black dog, it's the ultraviolet light that's actually triggering the plant to produce that red uh, pigment or the purple pigment called anthocyanins. Um, and it's ultraviolet light, which triggers that. And so you see a lot of different pigmentation. Um, I've also got a lot of orchids in my basement because they happen to like the same ultra tropical environment that uh, miracle fruit trees like. And you actually see more colorful flowers when they're exposed to ultraviolet light than if they're grown in an environment without any ultraviolet light. So it has impacts both on the fruit production, plant health and everything, including the ability to hold fruit, but even just the appearance of the fruit or the appearance of the plant. And as we all know, in the canvas world, colors do matter to us. We all like the purples and the dark colors and some of the colors that we do get to express out of the genetics we have. A lot of us are looking for that in the flowers we're growing. So that's good to know. And would you expect to see that same thing? Would that carry over into canvas? Would we see potentially better colors with a light that has a true full spectrum into the UV? versus not. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, light. We see that all the time. And it 
it's a little bit tricky because plants have multiple different reasons. Some strains just don't have the genes for producing those uh, colors, those pigments in their leaves, and other strains do. And, and there's different ways you can trigger it. For some strains, all it takes is getting the plants colder towards the end of flower and they will start producing more of those pigments. But giving them ultraviolet light at the same time will increase the amount of those pigments so you get even better coloration on those plants. And then there's other strains that getting them colder might not necessarily trigger any additional pigmentation, but the addition of ultraviolet does. Gotcha. So we, as we call them here, the basic white spectrum that we see in all the other lights, it might still allow the plant to produce colors, but you would anticipate that you probably see more coloration with a full spe true full spectrum light like black dot with UV. We see that all the time and to the point where for a decade now, we've had customers calling us and asking us questions about why is my LED light making my plant magnesium deficient? And they're saying that because they're seeing purple streaks on the stems of this strain that they've been growing for a very long time. Once they try it under our light, they see purple streaks on the stems. They look up in their table of nutrient deficiencies and they see the purple streaks are the sign potentially of a magnesium deficiency. And they think that's what it is. When in fact, what it is, is that strain is naturally one that produces pigmentation, but it only does it with exposure to ultraviolet light. And they've never grown it under ultraviolet light before. If you took a cutting of that same strain and you put it outside under natural sunlight, it would develop those purple streaks on the stems. But if you've only ever grown it under high pressure sodium and fluorescent tubes, you might not realize that, hey, this strain naturally does have this pigmentation to it. So under basic white LED, they might not see that, but under, under ours with the full UV, they would. The interesting thing there that you're talking about that's just kind of throwing me off a little bit is, you know, these other companies talk about they've got a full spectrum light. And, and in essence, they do. They're covering the full visible spectrum, mostly. They're, they're mostly covering what humans can perceive. What we can see. But however, we're not growing humans. Right, we're growing plants with our lights, and that's where we're focused. So we do try to express those things, and it is interesting. We've had four years since we started the company. We do have a lot of these old-time growers that have grown the same strain under HPS or something like that, or a CFL, or even a white LED, and they know that strain like the back of their hand. They've been growing it ten years. They know how it grows. They know its cycle. They know when to hit it with different things, and then suddenly they throw it under a light, and it starts expressing entirely new traits that they haven't seen before. And that's the exciting thing because the goal of light really, and the goal of a grower is to help the plant express to its maximum potential, right? If it's got the ability to produce 120 grams a square foot, or if it's got the ability to hit 25 or 30% HC or something like that, we still as the grower need to help get it there. We have to help it get to its full potential. And that's the point of the black dog LED light and the spectrum is to get the, the plant to express its full potential whether you're growing some really crazy old school strain in your basement or whether you're growing miracle fruit in your basement, that is the goal of Black Dog is to get that plant to produce to its maximum potential, whatever the potential of that strain or that specific thing you're growing is. Because man, we've seen everything grown and Kevin's grown hundreds and hundreds of different types of plants under our lights. We've got everything from succulents and cactus all the way through to ultra tropicals. So he's, he's got everything under there. So uh, it's very interesting. Would you add anything else to there, Kevin? You know, so you saw this, you experienced firsthand the black dog difference, right? You saw what the spectrum did, what the light did. And that was six, five, six iterations ago of our light. So mm -hmm. was, the technology wasn't where it was today. We've changed as the technology has developed. Our lights have gotten better along with that, just like your phone or your computer gets better year after year. So you got a chance, you tried it, you saw the difference, and then you joined the company? 
Yep, I joined the company within uh, six months, actually, trying my first Black Dog LED because after trying so many different kinds of lights for so many different years, the change in how the plants grew was so noticeable, I knew that Black Dog was really onto something. And the, the spectrum that Black Dog uses keeps the plants more compact. It, it keeps the stem spacing shorter, the internodal spacing shorter, and that leaves the plants with a lot more energy to dedicate to fruit and flower production. And that's noticeable on any flowering plant, whether it's a cannabis plant or a miracle fruit plant, especially when you're growing things long-term for 10 years under the same spectrum here. If this plant was outdoors and in a larger pot, it would probably be 10 feet tall when it's 10 years old. Still fairly slow growing, but um, the spectrum of our light actually helps keep things dramatically shorter, more compact and bushier so that you actually get more yield per square foot, whether it's cannabis or miracle fruit. So now to be fair, we do believe heavily in our light and our spectrum, but there are some caveats. What plants wouldn't you want to grow with our light? So I've actually tried growing celery with our lights and it's uh we have the same effect on celery that we have on every plants. The internodal spacing gets shorter, the petioles on the, the leaf stems get shorter. And with celery, you're actually eating the petioles, the leaf stem. Um, and so you get cute little celery stalks that long. So things that you want to harvest for their stems, things like rhubarb or celery, uh, potentially bamboo would not be ideal for our lights because Yes, you can grow them under our lights and they grow very well. They just don't maximize their stem production at all. In fact, they minimize their stem production. But there's very few plants that we deliberately grow for their stems. And those that we do deliberately grow for their stems typically are not ever grown under artificial light. Gotcha. Okay. So if you are growing something for its stem, don't use black dog. If you're growing something for fruit or flower production or something where you're consuming something other than the stem as the primary output from the plant, Go ahead and use a black dog. So now you've heard it. There are some cases where black dog is not the ideal light, although they are few and far between. And as Kevin pointed out, they're generally not using artificial light for those applications anyway. So uh, that was very interesting. Uh, again, we're going to wrap it up here. It's been great to hear how Kevin joined us. And I would point out if you follow Kevin's timelines and you know how Black Dog is, we're one of the original LED grow light companies out there. He joined us about a year after we were formed, but we wouldn't be where we are today without him. So when you get to use that amazing spectrum, you do have Kevin to thank in his 35 plus years, whatever, of growing experience that he's got now in the thousands and thousands of different types of plants. And I don't even know how many plants total he's grown. Um, we get all that benefit here at Black Dog, and it's been great to reap the benefits of that experience that he has. And I would throw him up against any horticulturist or botanist out there and say his, his knowledge is encyclopedic. And if you ever get a chance to see Kevin at a trade show that we visit or anything like that, and you like plants and you're a plant nerd, chat him up. He always loves talking about plants and he'll, he'll talk your off about plants. So a lot of that comes from killing more plants than most people have ever tried to grow by torturing them and experimenting and figuring out what it takes. But that is how we learn. Like we yep. say, it's our, it's your job to grow cannabis. It's our job sometimes to kill it with light. So that, that is the difference between us here with the R&D that we do. So uh, thank you very much again for joining us and listening into another version of the Cultivation Cast. If you have any questions about what we've covered, 
please feel free to reach out to us. You can hit us up via email. Uh, you can hit us up via chat on our website. Call us. Heck, come by the office in Colorado. But we're always here to answer questions. And again, don't keep those. Don't forget to keep those suggestions coming. We love to hear what you want to see and hear us talk about. One thing we're going to be adding more of is guests in the future. So stay tuned for that. And again, thank you for joining us and happy gardening.